Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into closure programs and libraries. This week, I'm talking with Ambrose Bonnier-Sargent, the creator of Typed Closure. Welcome to the show, Ambrose. Thanks, Daniel. How are you? Yeah, doing not too bad. So you've been working on Typed Closure for quite a while now. I remember seeing it, the original of release was you know, a number of years ago. People who've been in the closure community are probably aware of typed closure, but maybe haven't followed kind of all of the different parts that you've worked on and the journey of typed closure. So do you want to start there and give us like an intro into what typed closure is and then you know what the journey has been like for you? Yeah, totally. I would be surprised if anyone remembered what type closure is. Like I've been so detached from the community. So it's not just you, it's fine. But, oh, man, yeah, Type Closure dates back to 2011. Wow. And I don't know what version of Closure that is, but it's, it's a lot older. The precursor to Type Closure was going to Closure Conj to talk about Core Logic in 2011. I met everybody, and everyone seemed to be interested in a type system for Closure. I went back home, and I needed to find a a subject for my honors undergraduate dissertation. And it was either write an analyzer and compiler for closure. So the stuff that Nickel has done, which I didn't do, or do a type system for closure. And at that point I was like, well, there's this thing called type racket. I wonder if I can just steal all of that. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's basically where, where it began. Like I was like, oh yeah, sure. I can do that. So I just started yanking as much of Type Racket as I could and putting it out there. And then the next year, I was back at ClojureCon giving a talk on Type Closure. And basically what Type Closure is, it's a, a static analysis tool for your Closure code. So effectively, you can learn about your code and analyze it without running it, without having to run the tests. And so, yeah, it's just a type system, just like TypeScript to JavaScript. It's an optional type system. So with a type system for Clojure, I'm very much in the camp of Clojure is awesome. Let's not change the way that people program in Clojure, including having mandatory types. So core types, you can, you can completely, you know, unlink the type system at runtime. Like it doesn't need type checking isn't mandatory. It's very much like TypeScript in that way. So I think that's the, the very beginning. Uh, is that enough to go off? Have you got any questions? Well, yeah. So it started as an honors thesis yeah. seven or eight years ago. My understanding is you've kind of been continually working away on this, uh, you know, studying, mostly continually working on this, studying at different universities and expanding it and doing more research and development on it. You know, you can look on my webpage, ambrosebs.com, and it's just type closure, type closure. Like I honors dissertation, Google Summer of Code student, Google Summer of Code mentor. And then like I did my crowdfunding rounds and then I did a PhD as well as having a, a, an undergraduate. So I was just reflecting because I've just finished my PhD. I was telling my wife, like, oh, I have three computer science degrees now. Like, I think I know what I'm good at. Like, and it's, it's true. Like I, I do computer science because I think I'm good at it and I don't do other things because I don't think I'm very good at it. But as much as I have three degrees in computer science, I it's more that I have three degrees in type closure. Right. Which is very amusing. <laughs> and yeah, so I have just been doing nothing but type closure, including trying to monetize it, uh, get research out of it, uh, community work, just trying to deal with the the weirdness of doing open source development. It's just been a full-time job and yeah. Yeah, it's uh, you know, been watching from the sidelines uh, mostly and yeah, very, been very impressed with what you've been doing. And so I guess you know, what kind of triggered me to talk to you uh, was you announced that you'd published your PhD and it's now accepted, I think. Yeah. So you're kind of pretty much done, I guess, now? Oh, yeah. I haven't thought about type closure in uh, <laughs> two months. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, so uh, sorry to drag you back to it but i guess i wondered if you could talk to us about like what's new in typed closure recently like what was kind of you know in your dissertation what sort of stuff did you work on that people may not be aware of yeah i mean the reason why people might not be aware of what's new is because really there isn't much that's new it's a lot of sitting down and thinking and reflecting on the decisions that were made over the last few years and not like jumping in to try and do new features and 
So the basic outline of the dissertation is that in the beginning, I created a type system for closure and people started using it, but then they came across these usability problems. And then, you know, that the bottom fell out and everyone just kind of dropped the type system. And I certainly don't like using type closure in its current form, but I strongly believe that closure can have a really awesome type system. So my thesis is basically the thesis of those two points of view, that type closure sucks, but closure is a great language. It's very principled, it's very straightforward in its uh, complexity, and it's very well suited for a type system, in my head at least. And so the thesis is really trying to set up the next versions of type closure to address these usability problems. And yeah, there's a couple of usability problems that are really major. The first of which is common to like all optional type systems, which is that if you want to use an optional type system on your dynamically typed code, you have to start writing these annotations and it can be a real chore. And I'm sure closure programmers have come across this with closure spec. It's not as much of a chore because you get a lot finer granularity with closure spec because closure spec is like this dynamic system you can add one annotation like say for one function and then you can run that annotation you can check it using you know conform or check or instrument and all these things but with type closure and other type systems it's very different it's sort of like this viral property of type annotations where you annotate one function and then to check that one function you have to annotate other functions so this is transitive virality of of annotations. So yeah, anyone who's done any type systems, who's used a type system will know that this is really annoying. So a big part of my dissertation, and uh, this is probably the work that people have, have last heard from me, was uh, creating a, a dynamic analysis system to automatically generate type closure annotations and also uh, closure spec annotations just by running your program and exercising the functions. And then my analyzer will synthesize these top level annotations. And the idea is that we're really trying to make the transition from untyped to typed much smoother. And a lot of that transition is just annotating functions. And that was my last closure conch talk. I think it was either, I think it was 2017. Uh, and I talked about closure spec uh, generation because that's probably what most people cared about at that point. And so yeah, that's the automatic annotations. There's some other usability problems that are pretty specific, but maybe you can appreciate it if you've used other type systems. Like not only do you have to annotate like top level functions, you have to annotate local functions. And that's, you know, I don't know, Scala and Java, it's pretty familiar. Like you need to annotate local functions, even when you're doing like, you're mapping over a collection and it's like, it's obvious what the annotation is. And Sometimes like object oriented languages make it easy. Like you could do map dot and it or dot map and then it, it some magic happens and then the first argument of the function is like annotated properly. That it, it's not really a general like I looked around trying to find solutions to this, this problem of too many local annotations, and I couldn't really find anything. And just to make sure everyone's following along, like what I'm thinking of is just map of fun something over a collection and that something has to have an annotation like if you're mapping over numbers you have to say that something is a number like explicitly like it's like adding a type hint and where do you say that if this is an, an anonymous function like there's not necessarily a name to annotate yeah that's kind of a subtle issue like if you're using the hash syntax like a real anonymous really anonymous function like yeah there's really no place to put it like uh if you know that the way that the hash reader macro uh, expands, it doesn't expand into putting, like if you, you can put type hints on the percent argument, for example, but yeah. the way that type closure works is you need the type hints to be on in the parameter vector and the reader macro just doesn't work like that. So <laughs> one problem was you basically couldn't use the hash syntax with type closure. Like that's what it came down to. You could wrap the hash syntax in like an explicit function annotation, say it's like number to return, uh -huh. uh, but that's like even uglier and like closure is so beautiful. It's like an abomination that the more 
layers of syntax that we need to, to add types. And yeah, and it's so much more frustrating when you, you can look at the program and in an instant, you can infer it with your brain. You can be like, no, that is a number. That's not any, that is a number. <laughs> yeah, so it was really just that very simple piece of code that inspired me to look into other ways of propagating information. And I started looking into sort of a symbolic execution or symbolic analysis where type closure can kind of try and massage your program to make it a little easier to type check. And uh, one part of my thesis, I'm introducing this new type in type closure called a symbolic closure. And it's basically just stuffing a function, like a piece of syntax into a type. Like, it's insane. This is not standard ML. <laughs> like, this is just... Uh, and as far as I can tell, this is not dependent types either. Like, it's, it's just evaluation. Like, I'm just letting type closure sort of do evaluation. And the question then is like, how do I run this type? Like, for example, if you think about like that map fun of something, like how do you thread in the fact that fun something takes a number from the fact that maps over a list of numbers? And it turns out that you can look at the type of map and look and, and see that based on the where the type variables are, like if it's left of an arrow or right to an arrow on how many nested arrows, you can tell if something is an input or an output and you can sort of like simulate the evaluation. It's basically an improved type inference technique by using symbolic analysis or symbolic execution. It's kind of silly. And I'm actually not sure if, if it's a completely good idea because I've only written a dissertation about it. I haven't actually tried to use this. <laughs> Yeah. The best analogy that I have for this technique is like if you've ever used a proof assistant or like Coq or Agder or something or even heard about it, there's this idea that you can generate a proof by just using functions called like Sledgehammer or Annihilate or all these amazing function names mm -hmm. that generate proof trees for you. And like this idea of symbolic analysis was kind of, I alluded to it as uh, like, the equivalent of annihilate or you know those uh, automatic yeah. proof tree generation for for type systems like closure and where that's at right now it's like i have like a little model where it, i have a little lambda calculus that kind of looks like closure and i can do things like skip annotations on mapping over collections and uh, but it's not actually in type closure right now and one problem with this letting the type system evaluate your program symbolically is that if you get a type error, you have these functions just sort of floating around in your type system. Like if you get a type error, it's like not clear how many, who's to blame. Like it's kind of this big trade-off of a lot of inference power with, I'm not too sure about the error story, but ideally this technique is so powerful that it will almost always type check correct closure programs because most of the time closure programs are pretty well structured. Like that, that's what I tell myself at least. So does that mean if that work was you know, integrated into typed closure that you could you know, reduce the number of annotations required to type check a closure program? Yeah, like any higher order function, it's effectively a technique to type check higher order functions right. and invocations of higher order functions as well as sort of let binding local functions. Because the like central problem here is that type closure is based on local type inference. And the idea there is that types propagate from outside to in. And like, if you kind of let bind a function, you kind of you like lift it out of the, the context where the type is. And it's very nice to be able to just refactor your closure program. Like it works with untyped programs. Why shouldn't it work with type programs? And that's kind of my, my approach. Nice. So I guess the other, it's not really a type system, but we've touched on it already, closure spec and you know, schema as well are sort of, I guess they're not the same thing, but they're perhaps targeting some of the same use cases for closure programmers. So do you want to maybe compare and contrast you know, those systems and how, I guess, where the gaps are, you know, in the two and yeah, like compare and contrast those two, really? Yeah, I've done a lot of thinking about that, actually, uh, because 
I tried to write a research paper that was ultimately rejected, but it was effectively trying to generate these uh, type closure and core spec types. And sort of in that process, I had to think a lot about how closure spec relates to type closure. So just kind of like from the, the most general classification possible, like schema and closure spec are in their own sort of category as dynamic verification. So they only work when you run your program or you have to actually exercise it in some way. So think contracts or unit testing, generative testing, like that sort of thing where there's runtime. And type closure is a compile time analysis. You don't have to run your program. And like compared to the difference between spec and type closure, schema and spec are pretty similar. As far as I remember, schema is, I don't know, I think the last time I thought of, I'll just talk about closure spec because I, I don't know. Sure. I'm sure schema has like copied a lot of things from closure spec or vice versa or something like that since I last saw it. But closure spec Oh man, it's the most ambitious system that I've I've seen in verification. And it has some really interesting properties and some really interesting trade-offs as well. So effectively, I think the way that I think about closure spec is that it implements everything except type systems, like except static analysis. Like everything from generative testing to destructuring to assertions to instrumentation and its design is like kind of at its core has these really interesting trade-offs and like from another angle another way that i think about closure spec is that it's sort of prescriptive in the way that it wants you to program like if you think about the the s keys macro like i'm not sure how deprecated it will be by the time this podcast comes out but for now spec 2 isn't out but like if you think about the rec and the opt of S keys, it's like very prescriptive. You can only have a key mean one thing if it's namespaced, which is sort of like a red flag from my approach of writing verification systems. Like if closure spec is actually bundled with the language, so it actually has a chance to change these uh, these idioms in closure programs, like uh, pushing people to use namespaced keywords and that kind of thing. But like that's not something that I believe I have much influence in. So. Like if you we contrast like S keys with the way that type closure hash maps or heterogeneous maps work, which is the equivalent. Like heterogeneous maps are just the most vanilla, boring thing you can imagine. Like it's a type that says a key has this type. Mm -hmm. And it's very different from the S keys. Like S keys, you have to sort of uh, declare this sort of global meaning for a key. It's sort of like this RDF sort of flavor. And you can combine them. And it's it's very much tailored to the most dynamic use case possible. So the way that I think about S-Keys is that the reason S-Keys is like it is, is because of the invocation open paren, S-Keys, close paren. Like that is a very powerful thing. Like if you haven't tried doing that, uh, check it out. Yeah, so what that S-Keys doing is checking any map that gets passed to it. It will check all of the keys in the map. And if they're namespace keys, it will go look up, you know, that check the spec for each of those namespace keys if, if a spec exists and checks it without the user needing to explicitly say, like, this takes a, a user slash ID key. If there's a user slash ID key in the map, it will just be checked if you have S keys as your spec annotation. Yeah, and that's sort of assuming that the user didn't know in advance that that key was there. Like, and that's a kind of an odd use case. Like, whenever I've tried to verify a map, I know the key set. Like, it's a very specific. Like, S keys is built for this very specific dynamic property that sort of comes at the expense of fixing these namespaced keywords to types. And, you know, I, I'm actually not sure, like, if people take advantage of this. In my experience, I've seen most people use uh, rec un and opt un to kind of opt out of the rec and opt. But, like, I'm sort of in my own little world over here. But that's one interesting difference between type closure and uh, core spec is that there's nothing like S keys in type closure. If you wanted to add something like that to type closure, would that even really be be possible in the, the bounds of what the system already does? Or is that just too different? It's not practically an issue. I just don't understand 
I kind of did it long-windedly, but I was trying to explain how SKs, uh, the opt-in rec, is it exists because of this dynamic case where you don't know your key set. And if you're statically analyzing your code, you do know the key set, otherwise you wouldn't be trying to type check it. Right. Closure spec has the benefit of hindsight as in, or foresight, I guess. It can know how the program actually runs, but type closure can't run your program. So having just the empty SKs type in type closure wouldn't mean anything. It would just mean this, I don't care what this map has in it. Right. That makes sense. So closure spec, as you mentioned, is in alpha. Alpha 2 is coming out sometime soonish, probably. And you know, closure spec is seems to be kind of where the community is heading mostly. What kind of places could you see typed closure working with closure spec? Working with closure spec? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. That's probably the most asked question that I get when I go to conferences. Because it would be great if you know, you just gave us a, a spec and it just magically type-checked. I mean, we've, we've just been talking about the interesting differences between the annotation styles in spec and type closure. And like the SKs, like uh, we talked a lot about it, but like that's kind of just the surface of the difference. Like it wouldn't make much sense to type-check a spec because a spec doesn't tell you a lot. It doesn't have a higher-order function specs most of the time. It, it doesn't have... Uh, polymorphic types at all it doesn't have support for mutable types like uh, atoms or at least not in sort of a cohesive way so this mismatch between what type closure can check or what i build type closure to check and what closure spec supports as an annotation system and i think of contract systems and closure spec as testing systems from like end to end and i think that's awesome but when I write my closure programs, I like to have sort of inline assertions and it'd be great to have them be static. And maybe that's just me. Like, but that's sort of my driving interest for type closure is having more fine verification over your programs, like being able to follow where a value goes in a function and making sure that you let find something properly or use the seek function properly or use, I don't know, transients properly and don't uh, use a transient twice. Like stuff that static analysis is very good at. First of all, a system like type closure will be very useful if your program is very expensive to run or to boot up. Like if it does some, if you can only test it by booting up like 12 Amazon AWS instances or something like that. You know, if you want to uh, statically analyze your program. I'm kind of talking about the future because like type closure isn't very usable right now. Like you can try and use it, but I'm sure your hair would be falling out by the, you know, first few minutes. It's sort of like this perspective, like after I implement everything in my thesis, maybe people would want to use this. And unfortunately, it's been like that for quite a while because writing a type system for closure is very, very interesting. And there's a reason why I've been doing it for so long because it's fascinating. It's so much fun and I have no idea how to do it. And for some reason, no one else is doing it. So I'll just keep doing it. Could you see a world where, like, say you're building a system where you've got, like, it's a large web application and most of it is sort of, I guess you're you're okay with not having it type-checked. You don't want to sort of wear that cost through the whole part of your system, but there's some very core part that's got some very intricate logic. It's very security-sensitive or performance-sensitive or, or not performance-sensitive, but, you know, there's certain things that it's doing which you really can't afford for it to get wrong. Would that be a case where you could use type closure just in the core of it and then, but not have to, you know, have those checks spread virally through the rest of your system? Yeah, like type closure is sort of built to have like per file analysis. Like it, that's the way it excels really. So if you put that sort of critical part in its own file, you can sort of have your own little type system sandbox and set up your invariants and say, ah, oh, trust this and check this. And I think that's really the, well, at, at some point that has to happen. At some point you have to trust something from untyped land. But with using type closure, you can have a lot of flexibility where that boundary is. If you want to just put that boundary around one file, and I'm using the word boundary loosely because there's this other concept called gradual typing, 
which actually checks to make sure that when you cross the boundary, things didn't violate your your checks. And like that's probably the the most sound way to go is to use gradual typing, which is something that I tried to implement for type closure and sort of abandoned it a couple of years ago. I had a crowdfunding campaign and I gave a few talks about it. And then I effectively just reinvented what typed racket had. And at the time, there were all these papers about how bad type racket's gradual typing was. And I just sort of like, I figured people didn't want that in, in type closure, at least yet. So you could imagine saying like, oh, check specs for these and check types for these. And maybe like, maybe somewhere in between, like that, that might be like some amazing future that we live in. Like, I haven't thought about that, but yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. One part in your uh, thesis you mentioned was this quote, typed closure can integrate with the closure compiler to avoid expensive reflective calls like get parent and the example of like Java interop on a file. Can you talk a little bit about what that means and how that integration works? Yeah, that's kind of subtle because I was at the beginning, I was talking about how type closure is completely optional and you can delete it and it doesn't matter. Your, your program will run. But if type closure is resolving reflection for you, then it kind of has to exist like all the time. So this is very big trade-off. Like if you don't want to put a, a you know, Java, what is it? Java IO file annotation or Java util file. I can't remember. But if just to not put a type hint, you want to bring in this massive type system, like uh, type closure can do it. It's like, it's not something you probably want though. It's a very expensive trade-off. If you're just using it for that one, you wouldn't use it just to avoid type annotations. Well, that's really the only way to speed up closure programs as far as I can tell. Uh, you know, that's a, uh, an insanely broad statement. Let, let me just say that <laughs> coming from a type system, the kind of uh, type information that type closure has, type hints are really the only way to obviously use that information. And closure already comes with the capability of adding type hints. One middle ground that I like is that I improve the errors. So uh, type closure has an, it throws an error if it finds reflection. And in that error, it basically gives you a rundown of all the, the, the most likely type hints that you probably want to add. And I think that's a pretty good middle ground. It's, it's, uh, there's something in Racket called the optimization coach. And I think that's a really cool idea. Uh, uh, try this, try that. And yeah, the type closure kind of turns into an optimization coach at that point. And I, I like that uh, trade-off. You can turn off the type system. Yeah. Have you been following or watching Mike Fikes' work on type inference in the ClojureScript compiler? Oh, vaguely. As far as I remember, it's all about generating like slightly tighter JavaScript, right? Yeah, so the I guess you if you add the hints for the Google Clojure compiler to core functions, my understanding is the ClojureScript compiler itself can flow those type hints through into your programs to sort of, I guess, generate type hints all the way through the system, which then, you know, signals back to the closure, Google closure compiler, you know, you can take these optimizations because they're safe to make, even if, you know, they, it wasn't necessarily obvious beforehand from that code, because uh, it was too dynamic. Yeah, the, the type hints in closure scripts, at least in my several months out of date knowledge is, uh, very, is very similar to type hints in, in closure. Like there's not some elaborate type system that uh it's just pushing around symbols effectively following symbols down the syntax tree yeah. it's not doing things like uh testing whether you're down a particular branch or something like that although you can certainly enhance the the closure scripts type hinting mechanism with like uh you know knowledge of an immutable sequence or uh, knowledge of what going down a branch means and it probably does have some instance, if you say, I forgot what the equivalent is in ClojureScript, but if you say instance, huh, in Java, you sometimes have to add a redundant type hint. It's like, well, I'm in the, the then branch of an instance, huh, check. Like clearly it's it's this type. And <laughs> yeah, um, that might be implemented in ClojureScript. The other um, projects, which I'm not, I guess I just wanted to mention as a, another sort of type system or static system in, with Clojure is uh, Spectrum from Aaron Rona. 
I'm not sure if you've had a chance to look at that, but that's you know still very still very early. Yeah, I've I've, I've talked to him about it. Great. At some point, like a few years ago, I was like not really sure what to do with type closure, and we kind of talked about like consolidating the two systems. And at some point, I think I kind of lost hope that any sort of consolidation could make sense because of we were talking about the differences between S keys and the fact that closure spec doesn't have polymorphism and all that stuff. And that's stuff that Spectrum has to to deal with and it has its own way of dealing with it. But like, I'm really interested in solid guarantees. If I'm going to bother to use a type system for closure, it better be 100% sound, you know, up to when I say just settle down type system, like this will do, you know, for manual overrides effectively, you know, and the, the, the semantics of what you write in your spec are kind of not very, not as concrete as they could be. Like, for example, if you write a, I forgot the function, but the spec to check the members of the list, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it uses, it, sometimes yeah, call it, and in brief. yeah, sometimes it doesn't check the entire collection. And, uh, my favorite example, I think, uh, I love F spec in, in theory, but uh, in practice, it's actually, well, maybe it's the other way around. I actually don't know how to use F spec effectively because when I want to assert that a function has a type, or a contract, I want that contract to follow along with the function. And FSpec has this really cool semantic where it just throws a bunch of values at your function and just sees if the output is correct. But it, then it just leaves your function to go through your system. Like that's very pragmatic, but when it comes down to like proving properties or at the end of the day saying like, what do I actually know having type checked this program? And as soon as you have these sort of like kind of vague semantics, I think the benefits of, of type checking sort of disappear in a way. In my everyday closure, like I write closure. I'm a big fan of closure. And the way that I write programs is I love preconditions. I love postconditions. And I love uh, instance checks and uh, doing maybe a contains check at the top of a function. Like I'm ve- very simple like that. Like I guess I like to know exactly what my what guarantees I'm giving myself. And I like doing inline assertions between lead bindings, that sort of thing. Yep. Maybe that's uh, that reflects that I don't write production software. Like I want it to blow up all the time. I don't care. So a new feature or newish feature in Clojure, which I'm suspecting would just be, you know, insanely difficult to type check would be transducers. Have you looked at well, I'm sure you've looked at transducers, but like, is there anything you can say about you know typed closure and transducers and what that really might mean? Oh man, I'm so glad you asked that. Transducers are so cool, aren't they? They're just the best. I, <laughs> like, I don't know. The it, fact that you do, it, what do you, you know? think? I mean, I the know. fact that you can just do into. Yeah, I like <laughs> it. So I don't know. Some people say you know like ah oh, you know transducers like why were they added? Nobody uses them. But I really like them. Maybe I'm just in the minority here, but there's something that just like clicks in my mind with transducers. To be fair, I only really use probably 99% of the time. It's just, you know, an into or maybe sequence. So I'm not like using transducers really to their full, but I don't know. I like them, but I certainly hear from other people who just that for whatever reason, they don't seem to like them. But yeah, I don't know. How, How do they look to you from a type system perspective, at least? From a type system perspective, they're just... They're gnarly. They're crazy. They have insane types and they're beautiful. So we were talking about the symbolic analysis and massaging the having type closure massager program. So it's easy to type check. Like I had two programs in mind when I was thinking that one was just map of fun of a collection. And the other one was some sort of transducer, like into a vector map, like basically the same function, but using it into the same code. And one is a lot easier to type check than the other. Like <laughs> actually that the motivating example was into vector and then have a comp mm-hmm. and then have a bunch of transducers, which of course we all know runs backwards. Uh-huh. So this might be a good time to plug my Patreon because I have these cool little diagrams to show you how complex the types. So my Patreon, I think is patreon.com slash Ambrose BS. It's just basically for type closure stuff. Uh-huh. Like, 
if you want to support me, you can throw me some money there. But if you look down the perks on the right-hand side, there are these diagrams. And the first one is, I don't have it open. I actually, I block a lot of... Uh, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, I actually forgot what I have up there. So the first one is all AB and it's seekable A to B. So it's sort of showing the, like diagramming, showing the type hints yeah. with some arrows on it to show how they flow. Let me bring it up and then I can, I'll go to my host file and unblock. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I'm old school uh, internet minimalism. All right, patreon.com. <laughs> you should all visit. Okay, so the first one, $1 perk, map. So you can see, so that red arrow, that says that uh, it, it actually goes from right to left. So that seekable A, the A there says that's actually an input to the function. You give an A to that function. And then when you do uh, give an A to that function, it flows down to the left of that arrow and is used as an output. Like the terminology is kind of odd, but map is effectively using the first argument as an output, like it's giving the A back to outside the boundary of map. And then you get an input back to map, which is the B, which is the right-hand side of arrow. And that is an output to the map function itself. This will make no sense if you don't visit my Patreon. So this is great. <laughs> no, it's good. I'll, I'll put the diagrams on the podcast so people can see it as they're listening. Yeah. So if you scroll down to the map transducer, like the $10 perk, you can see uh-huh. it's very different. Like the input is on the right of the function. Oh, it's in the output of the transducer. It's actually in the reducing function. And then it, it sort of flows around in this weird way. And the output doesn't even look like it goes to the output of the, the function. Like it's a much different diagram. So that, that kind of gives the intuition of the difference between like type checking a normal map and type checking a, a map transducer. And I generated these diagrams so then I could think about how to use symbolic analysis to fix this problem. And effectively, what I'm trying to do is automatically infer these arrows. And you can basically infer these arrows by counting the number of times that the variable occurs to the left of an arrow. Like uh, if we go to the map, the $1 perk, you can see like, the A, the seekable A is to the left of one arrow. That means it's it's contravariant, which means it's an input. And that A to the left, it's covariant because it's to the left of two arrows. So like that, that's a lot of details. But ideally, the programmer would not have to care about what damn variance their higher order function has. <laughs> like you would just automatically, yeah. So th- this is the kind of flavor that I've been thinking about for a couple of Oh, yeah. And um, you should put the $30 perk on as well. So that $30 perk, if I remember correctly, is you can't quite see it. It might be a sequence of comp map ink, map ink collection. And this stuff goes backwards and forwards. And yeah, this looks like the sort of the crazy person with the string across the room. kind of (laughs) diagram. Yes. Yeah, and it, it seems to explode in complexity as soon as you start using comp and transducers, which I love doing, unfortunately. Yeah, so, so do I. Yeah. <laughs> so what's kind of next on the cards for typed closure, if anything? Yeah, for type closure, I really want to see if this symbolic analysis stuff actually works. Like those diagrams on my Patreon are like kind of the tip of the iceberg, like this is the stuff that keeps me up at night. As far as I remember, there are a couple of type systems that kind of work this way. Uh, one is called uh, ML sub, which is a type system for a standard ML that has subtyping. And it sort of knows sort of the, the data flow. Uh, and these arrows are effectively encoding the data flow of your program. And implementing that in type closure, like it sounds so good. Like I want to sprinkle just enough symbolic analysis that the program will type check and it's unclear how much we need to do and i'm really looking forward to figuring that out that's probably the next thing that i'll do uh the most recent thing that i worked on was creating a new analyzer for closure code that's core typed analyzer jvm Uh if you are so inclined i'm sure there's no documentation how to use it so there's this issue if you've ever used tools analyzer you'll know that it's very convenient in that it just gives you back the entire AST, like 
fully macro expanded. But like, say you didn't want to fully macro expand it. Well, you have to look at other options like, you know, manual macro expansion or rewrite CLJ is, is so cool. I love that library, but it isn't what I want. What I want to do is type check a little bit and then expand a bit and type check a bit and expand a bit. And uh. to type check something, you need to have so much contextual information. You need to know basically everything, all the nano passes that Tools Analyzer does, like you need to know that at the point where you are. And rewrite CLJ just doesn't kind of cut the mustard there. So this core typed analyzer, it's an analyzer for the type system writer. If for some reason you need to interleave type checking and macro expansion and know things like Java reflection information or the type of your current local context, like this library is for you. One thing that I really excited about is ripping apart more, more parts of type closure so other people can maybe in the future build type systems for closure. Because I've been taking apart the analyzer, that automatic annotator is in its own library. I think it's core typed annotator, JVM. And uh, yep. if you peruse the, the closure contrib, you know, the, the closure organization on GitHub, just look for the core type prefix. I kind of went nuts with the amount of repositories. But it was really, I felt like it was all in my head in one big repository that was, it had too many delayed requires. It was cyclic. It was like, I needed a, a reason to really flesh out the design and modularize uh, type closure. So yeah, in the future, I'd want to pull out a few more parts. Uh, I can't think of what else I would pull out, but I'm sure there's always something. Uh-huh. Yeah, so... That's enough of, of stuff. I don't want to overload myself. I got to commit <laughs> to this now. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of work there. And so I know you've done work in the past with Google Summer of Code. And I seem to remember even you put out a call to like, maybe it was through Summer of Code or another one, you would sort of shepherd people through contributing to typed closure. Are there sort of areas that you can think of particularly that you know would be good for new contributors, maybe not new closure programmers. I imagine it's it's a pretty daunting code base, but you know, people who are new to typed closure, where would they how could they get involved? Yeah, that's a really good question. Like I've I've thought a bit about this because you asked me this question before and it's not clear. Like because I don't think I want to have people waste their effort on like a, a design that's kind of been proven to not be sustainable and not scalable and not usable, really. And uh, really, I'm still in the research mode. Like, if people want to help me, they can tell me, like, what problems they have with closure code that existing systems don't address. Like, for example, like, you tried to spec this thing and it, the error still got through. Like, if only I had such and such. Like, I, I love those types of questions so that I can kind of glom that on onto my research and also i get the impression that absolutely no one is using type closure which i'm sure is almost correct but if you happen to be using it please tell me i get you know maybe even a week's worth of motivation to do a little more i find people are always excited and sort of surprised that i'm working on type closure but yeah just just let me know that you're using it or that you tried to use it and it didn't work and like we can kind of hang out a bit and, and check out what the issues were and kind of think about it. And I can talk to you a little bit about like what ideas I had and whether you, you even want that idea in your system. And yeah, there's a lot of sort of human level collaboration that needs to happen. One thing that I'm sure I would never turn down is a, a pull request or a patch for more core annotations right? or just library annotations. That's like the first thing. It's like, oh, I have, I've just started type closure. Now I have to annotate the world. Oh my God. And uh, <laughs> I kind of hesitate to ask people to, to annotate their libraries because it's a lot of work and people don't use type closure enough to sort of justify it. But it's sort of like this chicken and egg problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, it's odd. I can't just point people to like, oh yeah, it's in the master branch. Just do it. Maybe... Tell me what what you thought of my thesis as well. If, if you can make sense of my thesis, it'll be uh, uh, hacking on type closure will be easy. Yeah. So I read through the thesis and there were large swaths of mathematical symbols that I unfortunately had to skip over. But I could read the you know the, the prose explanation of it. So yeah, um, but maybe people with more more of a type theory background 
never feel guilty about not understanding large swaths of you know they're all just hacks like this was just a little a little language that i built and i as i said i'm not a i'm not a language designer like i apologize for the that calculus it works though it's sound and the reason it's so complex is because i needed to say it works you don't need to understand it all it's fine <laughs> okay <laughs> And then, so what about yourself? What's kind of next for you? You've, uh, I imagine, hopefully, you're getting to take some time off after finishing your your thesis. But have you got any plans for the future after that? Yeah, right now I am just infatuated with this little library called CLJFX. Uh-huh. It is just the coolest thing. So I've sort of used Ohm and Reagent or something with ClojureScript, but ClojureScript isn't my favorite language. Clojure is my favorite language. And I liked how Reagent works, or Reframe. But this library has all the, you know, the buzzwords, CoFX and whatever. And I actually made sense of it. Like, this is a big if. If you're interested in making desktop apps, check it out. Even if you're not, I can't tell if it's because I never really understood React or whatever, or if it's just the coolest thing ever, but I think this library is so cool. So I'm just, I'm sending, uh, I think his name is Vladimir. I'm sending Vladimir a bunch of pull requests for stuff. I like, I just implemented animation. So declarative. Wow. And yeah, it's like, it's just like, a like, you know, JavaFX has done all the work. I just kind of learned enough of the library to figure out how to hook it all together. So check that out just because that is the coolest thing ever. And it's totally different from writing type closure. And I kind of got interested in JavaFX because I wanted to write sort of a, you know, Rebel sort of got me interested in JavaFX. And I was like, what is JavaFX? And I kind of, I figured out that Rebel was just not using any closure libraries. And I'm like, that doesn't sound fun. Like, surely there's a better way. And like, after I saw CLJFX, I kind of looked around on Reddit and stuff and where it was posted. And there's all these comments like, keep fighting the good fight putting reactive things in desktop development. I'm like, oh, wow, maybe this doesn't exist. Maybe it's not just me. So that, that seems to be my fight for this month, at least, is to check out uh, Clojure Effects. The last two weeks, I made a little Chrome DevTools equivalent where you can hover over things and it'll highlight the bounding box and sort of automatically get the pinpoint its location in the, the tree, sort of like the HTML tree just having a bunch of fun working that out and trying to work out how to make that sort of pluggable. So if you want to, if you want to make a, a JavaFX app, you just take this DevTools thing and just kind of plug it in. And then, you know, you put a key binding and, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, command shift J or, you know, the equivalent. And then this DevTools thing pops up just like the web. Wow. So that's my dream right now. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, maybe type closure at some point. Well, I think you've, you've certainly earned a break on that. <laughs> Thank you. So when I was looking at your PhD, at the start, you have this uh, story about uh, landing in Bloomington, except you landed in the wrong Bloomington. Bloomington. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how did that happen? What's the story there? I don't, how many Bloomingtons are there? What are the odds that the one Bloomington, that the wrong Bloomington that I arrived at was only six hours away? Like, what are the odds there? Yeah, (laughs) but I mean, it's just, I didn't have a travel agent. (laughs) I booked my own flights Uh and uh, Illinois happened to have an airport called Bloomington. (laughs) Uh I arrived and I was like, huh, Indiana? Why does the acronym for Indiana got an L in it? That's so weird. Oh, well, at that point, I'd been awake for like 30 hours and then I... (laughs) I, I like get there and I call a cab and I'm like, yeah, I got to go to Rose Street. And they're like, what? To Rose Street. I'll just send someone down. Okay, okay. And then someone comes down and, uh, you know, I, I'm i like, uh, no, Rose Street. You know, and, and I kind of I back up a bit. I'm like, okay, I've, I'm coming here for graduate school. I go to Indiana University. And at that point, the taxi driver who I later learned... <laughs> because I spent a lot of time with her, uh, it's called Juanita, and she uh, clapped her hand across her mouth and went, oh my God, <laughs> apparently this is a fairly common occurrence that people needed to go to IU. 
go to Bloomington, Illinois. And um, she told me that the, <laughs> the last victim was a 90-year-old woman who uh, needed to go to mm. IU. So I'm in that mm. sort of, yeah, that category of, of helplessness. But man, she was a champ. Like this was what twenty fourteen. I arrived. My mum uh, overprepared me with cash, uh-huh. and I spent it all oh, no. on a six hour cab ride, <gasps> including paying for her uh, uh, fuel. And I think it must have been like a thirty five hour, forty hour trip at that point. Like I didn't care. Like just get me to my bed uh-huh. and. Yeah, my first meal in Indiana was White Castle, and it was terrible. It's not like the movie. I would not recommend it. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> unfortunate. Yeah, I especially know that feeling when you've been after you know, a very long plane flight, and you're just like, I just want to get home. We just want to get into you, – you kind of are past the point of like caring very much about what's going on. At this point, it's like a – it's a badge of honor at this point, like – it's my proudest accomplishment that I just didn't care. And I just went across the state and actually my wife tells me that she thinks that that's one of the coolest things she's learned about me. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just keep arriving at the wrong airport then. And then, you know, uh, everyone will be happy and think I'm cool. (laughs) (laughs) My advisor was like, Oh, tell, tell them the story about Bloomington. Like, and they're like, what do you mean? Oh, Bloomington. You never heard of Bloomington. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's been around and it's now immortalized in my thesis as the first words. I, I just reread it and it's like, it's so terse. Like, there's so much more to that story, uh-huh. uh, which, you know, you can you can hear on this podcast. Yeah. And uh, I reread it and it doesn't quite, I tried to trim it down. So it's, it's just, you just get through the thank yous and then, you know, I don't waste anyone's time. But, you know, I don't know. I, I wrote, a, what, 180 pages. Surely I wasted time at some point. So it was inevitable. So are there any people that you'd like to think? Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint people, but like, I can just think back to all the conferences I've been to and all the people that I've talked to over like Twitter and, and Slack and IRC and stuff like that about type closure and just all the kind of the love that gets circulated around for this silly little type system thing that I've been doing, whether it's you know yeah like throwing money at me to make me keep doing it like if it wasn't for for all you people like I wouldn't be here where I am today like one thing has just led to another like if I didn't have my crowdfunding I wouldn't have aroused enough attention from my PhD advisor he wouldn't have invited me so just like everyone in the closure community who's reached out and uh, supported me in any way like I'm just eternally thankful for I hope we meet again so I can thank you in person because I like thanking people in, in person. <laughs> so it's a very broad thank you. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for coming on and for all your work on type closure and everything else you've done for the closure community. Thanks so much.